0: Hey, everybody, thank you for downloading episode 121 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Mark and I are going to be live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in just about one month, and you can come see us. It's going to be at the Ruba Club Friday, July 21st at 8 p.m. Get tickets at bit.ly forward slash we got Philly. So hope to see you there. But for now, enjoy episode 121 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin.
1: And I'm Mark Gagliardi.
0: Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate
1: of the world in the balance, we're here to settle, once and for all. Best Mel Brooks' film. That's right, don't worry everyone, we got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcast should not have a theme song. Yes they should. No they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm, you know what? You're right! I got
0: this. Hi, Hal. Hi, Mark.
1: Where are we right now? We're in
0: your new apartment. My new apartment. You almost didn't get it.
1: I almost didn't get it, but I got it. I was driving <laughs> with all my stuff, and uh, I got an email that said, Oh, I didn't know you were coming. I rented the place out. <laughs> then I had a freak out for a little while because everything I owned was in a van. But now we're in that apartment. How did you get an apartment on a handshake? Um, Because that's how we do things in La Familia.
0: Fair enough. Mm -hmm. And the
1: fewer questions you ask, the better. Okay, we're not here to talk about your housing.
0: No, we're not. We're here to talk about the films of Mel Brooks. Wait,
1: the films of Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, like the... Well, we can't do that ourselves. We can't. No, no.
0: That's why we brought a guest. He is the middleest brother of the first family of podcasting. I just did. Am I the first one to say that, Travis? The The middlest brother. brother? No, 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 I I say that all the time. The first family of podcasting.
2: That's a great moniker. Is that true? I don't know. It might know.
0: be true. You're not the yeah. first – like, you're the first – you're the reigning family. Oh, no. We're the Osmonds of Pi- – the, the exactly. Jacksons of podcasts. Pi- so many podcasts, yeah. including one that we have together. This is true. So uh, many. The, 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 uh, rarely updated, but beloved. Yes. Loved, much beloved. It's rare. Like, a, you oh. know, it was like a rare magic
2: book. I would like you – Hal, I need you to read my T-shirt, please. Okay. It says,
0: piss on you. I'm working for Mel Brooks. Yeah. Wow. You
2: wore a T-shirt specifically. <laughs> Can to I tell you something? No joke? I forgot, like I did not make really? the connection. <laughs> I, I brought this t-shirt with me and I wore it, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, that's gonna be really appropriate." You're For just my that followers. much of a fan. The, yeah, the I like, this, is my, this is no joke. I bought this t-shirt um, to wear on like the first day of making a my brother, my brother and me TV show because I was so. Fun. Nervous? Yeah. I don't know. Can I curse? No. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I was so freaking nervous
1: <laughs> that, like,
2: I needed something. This was, like, my Glenn Close secret that, like, I buttoned my shirt up <laughs> over it. But it was just, like, at the end of the day, you're serving comedy and, like, this is your thing. Like, don't worry about whether you're funny or not. Because you're doing this, like, and it was it was very empowering for me because, uh, well, spoiler alert, I love Blazing Saddles very much. <laughs> sure. <laughs>
1: yes,
0: is that Slim Pickens on the shirt?
2: Yes, it is. There he is. Um, the Slim Pickens. Yep. yep. And, a hollering. and uh, it comes in the um, food fight scene of the movie. Uh, where the, oh, no, sorry. It's where they bust through the wall of the musical number of the French mistake. Mm-hmm. And the uh, director the played French by Don Galloway's tries to direct him and he says, piss on you. I'm working for Mount Brooks and not, and not in the face. And they punch him in the gut. So, <laughs> I've seen this movie many times. It is a brilliant movie. Uh, but we're not,
1: we're not going to talk about that movie uh, we'll, just yet. We'll get to, okay. We're going to get to that movie and then I will quote it word for word, starting with the beginning. By all means, please do. Um, we are going to start with the more recent things because let's be honest. They're not going to win. Yeah. Dracula mm-hmm. Dead and Loving It has no chance. No, okay. Yes. Against anything 100%. else. We're going to go backwards chronologically, starting with uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It. We could start with the producers, the remake, but not technically a Mel Brooks directed film. Not, not only that, I also think, hmm, I don't think
2: it, I think it is different enough from the original. Yes. But not so much as to be a different movie that, that I think the right. producers as a... Whole we can talk about mm-hmm. because I think like well this musical number that's not in the original and this
1: line that's not in the original oh sure not enough of a standout. as a concept Yes. The, so the yes. producers is going to get a buy as a concept correct will young Frankenstein get the same treatment no because the musical did not have as much impact yeah oh, that's you know bad. there was a time when they were talking about doing a Blazing Saddles musical that would be amazing mm, would it yeah <laughs> would it look? yes it would Here's- vast expanses. Uh, there's not terribly many songs in it. Well, they it. have to write new songs. <sighs> well, here's
2: my yeah. thing. Uh, well, okay. Now, this is a spoiler, but as long as I say, the thing is, I've thought many, many times about Blazing Saddles and Allison, if it could be made now, mm-hmm. but I don't think it could. Yeah, no which, it,
1: the, the film could not be made now.
2: No, correct. Right. But, and so I think that making a different version of it, there's a lot you would have to change that I think would intrinsically right. change. The, but we'll talk about it when we get... Let's okay. start yes.
1: with... Dracula Dead Dracula Loving Dead It. Moon. A terrible, terrible motion picture. He, not only Mel Brooks at his kind of laziest, but uh, but Le- uh, Leslie Nielsen at his laziest well. Like, as here's, well. Yeah. here's
2: the thing. I was talking with Justin about this today. Problem with Dracula Dead and Loving It compared to his other, like, spoof, um, Lampoon parody films. Mm-hmm. It's all joke. No story. Like, yeah. they, they basically rely... Like, they just kind of swing vine to vine of, like, gag to gag. Mm-hmm. Right. That it's like, okay, so you just took, like, Stephen Dietz's Dracula, the story of Dracula, whatever the most, like, cookie-cutter version of Dracula is, and then just, like, glued gags onto it. Yeah. That's it. So you don't care about any of the characters. Right. And it's, it's also like, okay, that's kind of a funny gag, but there's nothing about this movie that I walk out of, like... But you know, if you took those away, it's still a really good movie, which I think is true of some of his other ones. Mm-hmm. But the moment where Steven Weber pounds a steak into Dracula and gets sprayed with like buckets and buckets <laughs> of blood is
1: hilarious. Yeah, there are hilarious moments <laughs> yeah. in it.
0: I like that moment. I like the moment where he's trying to put Amy Yazbek under his uh, under his thrall. But the the uh, the less handsome maiden is under his thrall as well. So it's sit down. No, you, you stand up. No, you lie down. That, that <laughs> was a good, at, at that point, it, we're, we're in 1995. And the, the, the good thing about a classic Mel Brooks movie is that it is frozen in the time at which it was made, but it's still, for some reason, those jokes can appear fresh and work. By the time we get to 1995, he's become, mm-hmm. He's almost a parody of himself. Not only that, but Leslie Nielsen has turned the corner from playing everything straight to making farting noises while he crosses his eyes. So it's not – he's become like unfunny grandpa from being like a serious guy – who just turned into a brilliant comedic actor Mm -hmm. because he always
1: played it straight. Because he was still on the Virginian in his mind. Yes. Right.
2: And that's funny. That's the thing. It's funny to see someone not know that they're being funny Mm -hmm. while being hilarious. Yeah. But this is true of, in general, I've been a long proponent of the theory of, like, comedy works best with boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a certain inevitable demise that comes along with any time a comedian or comedic director or an actor gets too popular and they start to like be allowed to do whatever they want at what point it's like okay cool now you're so broad and so big and so non-specific as to be like having a producer or a censor or you know a studio say like hey you have to cut that scene and then Mm -hmm. go okay what if we just make it tighten if we just tighten it up like that's pushing against boundaries is funny but right.
1: like do whatever you want is boring yeah because they they inevitably will indulge yeah which this yeah. should have worked this movie should have worked should it have because well for one reason because you're getting Leslie Nielsen who is the Zucker brothers golden child and you and this is at the tail end of the Zucker brothers insane reign in comedy Mm. Uh, starting with Airplane through Top Secret through all the Naked Gun movies. Yeah. Uh, Hot Shots with Jim Abrams. Like, between Zuck, the, both Zuckers and Abrams, you've got the guy who did a bunch of their stuff with Mel Brooks who's this iconic uh spoof parody director as well.
2: Yeah, but the thing is, is, now, Brooks didn't used to be big broad comedy. Like there yeah. were there were big broad scenes. Definitely there are moments where it's like, but like it used to be like those moments stood Tight out. Type bits. Yeah, right. It was it, like
1: his own Marx Brothers. Right. Yeah. He knew how to
2: play wordplay. And then it used to be ninety percent Marx and like ten percent Stooges. Yeah. And by *Dracula* dead <laughs> loving, it's like ninety nine percent Stooges. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but like the the Joe Besser
2: version. Yeah. yeah. And it's also and one like, percent Ace Ventura. I I actually I stand. And I love Leslie Nielsen. I think he was terrible casting for it. Because right. I think yeah. like.
1: Who do you get? Who's who's a serious Dracula? I would have
2: put Gene Wilder in it. I yeah. think it would have been oh, yeah. weird. And I think it would have been like a different feeling. But like the thing is I wouldn't have had a funny Dracula at all. I would have had a very serious scary Dracula and I had everything else around him be weird. Yeah, And like he's yeah. just trying to be an effective villain while everyone else is like
1: being wacky
2: way funnier than, mm-hmm. like, Dracula's funny, and everybody right. else is serious. Tickled
1: should not be the only emotion that you feel. Right. Yeah. Like, look at Cabin in the Woods.
2: Right, exactly. Way
1: hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah, hilarious, but, funny but also scary. Members. It's or funny? Evil and, Dead. Evil yeah, Dead is, evil like, dead, sure. funny,
2: scary. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's weird, but also, like, I'm tense. You know what yeah, I mean? And right. there's no threat from Leslie Nielsen at all. Interesting. Right.
1: All right, so it's not Dracula dead and loving. No.
0: You. Now let's move back. To 1993's Robin Hood Men in Tights. You have your hand up like you're going to witness right now. Like you are
2: testifying. I want to make a strong case for Robin Hood Men in Tights. As best? Really? No, not as best. But just as like. You want to defend it
0: as a piece of uh, of I like
2: Robin Hood Men in Tights. I think of, and this might get me in trouble, but of Spaceballs, Robin Hood Men in Tights, and Dracula Dead and Loving It. Robin Hood Men in (laughs) Tights is head and shoulders above the other two to me. And here's why. One, mm-hmm. um, Carrie always is incredible because here's why it's great casting. You might actually cast him as Robin hood in some of course, part, okay. Right. And so like, that's why on its service, you could like scan across a TV and see eight frames of Robin Hood men and think it is an actual Robin hood movie. <laughs> that said, I also think that there are a really good balance of very dumb jokes. Mm-hmm. And somewhere I'm like, Wow, that's really weird and funny. The moment of "Hey Blinken, did you just say a Blinken?" No, I said "Hey Blinken." Why would I say a Blinken? Is so funny to me. <laughs> Basically, everything Blinken does is layers in that. And the moment yes. was it Dave Chappelle that played Blinken? No, he played no. a chew, a chew. Yeah, I forget the name of the actor a who chew, played that's
0: right. uh, a sneeze. Was his Blinken. brother yeah. was Mark was Blankenfield dead. was the and, guy?
2: And when Blinken is in the Watchtower and they're like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm guessing." <laughs> I, I guess no one's coming. That's it's right, it, it's a blind so, man in a watchtower. Right, it's that's so funny and like just in general, and like and then you also have like Tracy Ullman, who was incredible in that as Latrine, mm-hmm. um, and you get like those weird dumb jokes of like Latrine is like, well. We changed it when we moved and it was, you know, a, a poop house, but it didn't say poop. She says it's a dirty word. Yeah. And it's like, well, wow, that's really dumb, but funny. It's yeah. funny. It's, yeah. it
1: had a bit of a Muppet Show sensibility to it. It is. With a little bit of a slightly naughtier.
2: So that's why my case for it is this.
1: I, it was the, I think it was the first
2: Mel Brooks movie I was introduced to. Okay. And I remember okay. watching it and thinking, well, if they're all like this, It's great because I was like 10 or something, way Mm -hmm. too young to be watching movies like, uh, Mel Brooks movies. But like I was watching them thinking like, yeah, this is perfect because I think that Robin Hood Man Titans for the time really captured the things that I think audiences were looking for in parody and spoof at that point. What it actually reminds me a lot of is basketball. Like Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot of the same, like very serious moments with funny elements in them kind of feeling of, like, there's a story to it, there's a dramatic arc, there's, like, characters falling in love, but also, like, people farting themselves to
1: death. Right. And you're like, It's like (laughs) Young Doctors in Love, if you ever saw that movie. A serious scene happening in the foreground, while a little, little person tries to hang up a telephone in the background, and it is ridiculous. Yeah, but, like,
2: that is like, okay, it's clever, but not, like... Give this man the Pulitzer, give right. him a Tony yeah. or an Emmy. Which, anthem.
1: we'll get to that when we talk about Blazing Saddles. It, it, yes. it
0: definitely suffers from not being one of his earlier films. Yeah, in no the Well, it's really neat to watch it now and see Dave Chappelle before he was mm-hmm. renowned Dave Chappelle. Not that he wasn't a great stand-up then, but... uh at the same time, there's something about white Jewish guys writing jokes for black people that's yeah. not okay. And there, there, as to my knowledge, was no Richard Pryor that yeah. acted as a shield. Yeah. So a lot of it was like, "Here's what Mel Brooks makes hip hop White men is. can't jump, yeah. which
1: was
2: literally Ooh, one of his. I jokes I gotta pump and my high top. Ooh. Yeah, the yeah. backwards hat. Uh, yeah, although I will say, like, <laughs> they, I did like the Blazing Saddles. It worked in Blazing it's Such a good like but that was so a virtual, different were, nailed it. But yeah. um, it's also, if you ever get a chance, listen to the director's commentary of Robin Hood. And it's like, half of it is Nailberg's like, uh, this joke was, uh, uh that's
1: a good joke. <laughs> like, <laughs> his, his, he's yeah, he's not crazy. Spaceballs. Yeah. Uh, his Spaceballs mm-hmm. r- track. And it is ridiculous. He introduces Daphne Zuniga. Like, is that how you say her name? Zuniga? Yeah, Zuniga. I think so. Yeah. Uh, he introduces her like three times. Like, Oh, lovely woman. Daphne, Daphne, what is her last name? Suniga, Daphne, oh, she's amazing. She comes on screen 10 minutes later. Oh, this actress, what was her name? Daphne, <laughs> oh, Daphne Suniga. No. And I thought, oh God, I hope he's doing a bit because he might actually be as old as he once played. Yeah, he's a 22,000 year old man yeah. before we know <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> he has reached that point. So,
0: Spaceballs does have something. If we're going to talk about the la- the poor trilogy, yeah. let's call called the poor trilogy? That's yeah, kind of wait I'm, a minute.
1: Now um, it, it has John Candy in it. So are we are we moving on from we're, we're going to move on from yeah, Robin and yeah, Tights to Spaceballs? Thing, a, I will say yeah.
2: Robin Hormen and Tights, I would recommend to people to watch.
1: Yes, where
2: it's like okay. I, I dragged it and loving it. You yeah. can skip and pretend it never existed, but you have to. You really.
0: If, if, You can have a general understanding of Robin Hood, but you really have to have seen the Kevin Costner one to get the majority of those jokes. And you—you are the right age as as are we to have had that come out at a time when it was supposed to be. Three years after, right? Ninety two was uh, the Costner. Yeah, and I don't hate that one. It's fine. Morgan Freeman's great in it. Uh, but it's got Alan Rickman in it. It's got you know, it's got a really strong cast. But this was Christmas made. Later throwing knives. Also, I think that yeah, came yeah, out yeah. in ninety one, and this came out two years after. Oh so yeah, it, was, it, was, a, it timed. was a direct
2: spoof. Oh, yeah, yeah, but less. I I think what I liked about it. Here's the thing: it is a direct spoof. They lift mm-hmm. like eighty percent of the references are are mm-hmm. uh, King uh, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, but and I think that this is. Uh, we'll talk about this more when you to the other movies. Robin Hood Men in Tights, of the latter ones, I think, is the one that most like if you remove all the gags, there's still a story in there. There's mm-hmm. still it's not as tight as when you get to like young Frankenstein and producers or whatever, but right. like They still tell the Robin Hood story. It's what it reminds me a lot of is like the Reduced Theater Company. I think that's it. Who does complete Shakespeare? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Who does Shakespeare Bridge? Absolutely. It feels like that. Like they're telling the story of Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of jokes piled on top
0: of it. Right. But you don't feel that way with Spaceballs. Is very close to Star Wars enough, but it's it's really sci-fi in general. So there's some Star Mm -hmm. Trek. There's uh, the Great Alien. I mean, that Alien moment. Let me tell you why it's different. Please.
2: I actually think that in the spaceball circumstance, it's too much of a, it's too much of a mishmash where it's like 50% Star Wars, 50% everything else. Okay. To the point where it's like, you should have just done a sci-fi spoof or just done a Star Wars spoof, but instead it's like, your whole story starts to go to a point where you even reference like yep it's all out of hand
1: now but not in
2: the fun blazing saddles way right. but more in the like i didn't think of a
1: way to end this see i think that this <laughs> uh, this movie to me is has a special place because this was my introduction to mel brooks i think we all have that movie that was oh, our yeah our introduction to him and I watched this movie religiously as a child but I understand what you're saying that there's a lot of different influences on it um I think that it's worth noting too that it came out well after Star Wars oh maybe. yeah so yes. he worked on this for a while putting this together and uh, or he you know just took from a decades worth of material <laughs> that movie was a hit for him so the studio i assuming it could have gone if it was only a couple of years later that he made Men in Tights. It's like, oh, that was good. You did a good uh, spoof movie. Do another spoof movie. What's out now? Uh, that Robin Hood movie. That's a big hit. Do, oh, a, yeah. do a Robin Hood movie. I think. I think. So it's 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 the difference between having a big chunk of time yeah. to write this parody. As it is to make a parody of this one movie that's popular now.
0: Yeah, I mean, Spaceballs does suffer from being made four years after Return of the Jedi. So there had been no Star Wars Mm -hmm. outside of, like, the droids animated series and Battle for Endor, like, TV movies. Star Wars was not new or hip. It was just part of culture that we accepted. So he wasn't... You know, like Young Frankenstein is about the Frankenstein story story which gets told over and over again and just always exists. Star Wars are a finite three films that we all sort of accepted as canon at that point. And even Alien hadn't been around for eight years. There were just – a lot of his – a lot of the references in that are way too old. But there are great Rick Moranis is great
2: in it. Rick Moranis is great. Um, But I think that the movie I would most closely compare – in the rest of his canon, would be uh, high anxiety. Okay, but the difference is in high anxiety, it's like a spoof love letter to Hitchcock. Yes, where in Space Wolf, I
1: feel like he's making fun of sci-fi a uh, lot, like he's not yeah. actually doesn't, a fan doesn't of doesn't it. Really, yeah. yeah, I think into
2: he's. It. I, I'm not gonna say he's not a fan of it so much as he's like, ah, I don't know, Aliens is dumb. Like Barf, <laughs> he named the character Barf, and it's like Barf, follow you. That's a, that's a mean. Like he's, he's calling. He made a Wookiee-like uh. character was like, boy, his name is Barf. And Pizza the
1: Hut, that's a mean. Pizza he's the Hut is funny. It's funny, <laughs> Pizza but the he's Hunt making is hilarious. fun of They're it. all so good. The Vinny, like the weird uh, Mafia Max Headroom. That was in it. it oh, his uh, his uh, pizza yeah. gonna, gonna call, gonna call out for <laughs> you.
2: <laughs> still don't know what that means. No, that was not, not a great <laughs> Not a great joke either. But I, I just feel like there's a, and not in a bad. I I, I don't mean this like he hates Star Wars, mm-hmm. but just more in like he felt like he was writing a parody rather than a spoof homage. Right. Like I felt like I feel like high anxiety is like I love I I have to figure out a way. To make a Hitchcock movie, cause I just love Hitchcock so much. Yes. Versus, well, Star Wars seems popular. Maybe I could do a Star Wars thing. Right.
0: And, and Hitchcock made a ton of diff, even though there were, there was a lot of suspense, suspense and intrigue, he made a ton of different types of films over yeah. a 30 plus year career. So, uh. Oh, I'm trying to remember. By um, the way, we, yeah, we skipped Life Stinks, which
1: is. I was just gonna terrible. say, yeah, we, uh, we, I've there was seen one between these two. Life Stinks is not really worth talking about. No, yeah. that's the one he made with his wife, right? Like he and no, his wife. to be or
2: not to be. Yes, but that yes.
0: he did not direct that. They just starred in a oh, remake okay. of the Jack Benny film. Life Stinks. He is a millionaire who makes oh, a yeah, bet with yeah, another yeah. millionaire that he can live as a homeless man for two weeks
2: or something like that. Was it before or After Trading Spaces? It was after uh, Trading oh, okay, Spaces was eighty three. Okay,
1: so it was long after. Yeah. Long after. Uh, the only thing I remember from that terrible movie slap fight is yeah, a slap fight with a bum. Um, and I remember him. uh Having someone having a piece of corn on their face, and him saying, "You have a little piece of corn on your face," and the guy moving it, and then when it cut back to him, it was in a totally random different spot on his face. Which and he they then did this bit. for Robin Hood, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or was that Robin Hood that I'm thinking of that he, well, he did, did that, that had... with the mole? Where he's yeah, like, yeah, the "I have a mole," around, which yeah. is a great bit, which is a really ridiculous <laughs> bit. No, this was corn in like mm. things. Uh, yeah, that movie is. Is not good.
0: Yeah. I don't even think we need to really talk about it. Nah. I, I don't think there's anybody, including Mel Brooks, who would put this up as one of his best movies. Fair also, enough. also, there is a bum that, who dies and they he's somehow cremated. So they go to uh, dump his ashes over his favorite barrel fire or whatever. And when they throw it out, the wind blows it back in their faces. And that is the big – I remember reading Ugh. a review of it when it came out. They were like, thank goodness for this one moment of Mel Brooks magic. <laughs> when a dead person's ashes are blown back into everyone's face.
2: It makes me wonder if you look the timeline wise, if he did like space balls and he was like, I'm not fulfilled by the Cause life things is much more realistic and less
1: slapsticky and jokey. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: It, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's still, it's, it still has a lot of weird jokes, but it doesn't
1: but have a character isn't. that has a, an arc through the whole thing. It's story yes. based. Right. Yeah. And so maybe yeah. that
2: was like, his like, you know, I, I don't have to just do parodies. I can make funny movies. And then everyone went, no, you can't. Well, yeah. <laughs> it was just so uninspired, yeah. you know? That's the thing. Is like, I, I want to be clear. I love Mel Brooks. And yes. I don't know if I've stated this. Like, he's my favorite director, like, comedian. Like, I take a lot of comedy inspiration from him. But I also think that as you look through his canon, it's a really good example of, like, when it comes to genius... Genius unforced is genius. Mm-hmm. Genius forced is mediocre. Yeah, and like even yeah. his mediocre ain't terrible. That's why I love Robin Hood and, and Spaceballs. And there are still moments in Dracula, Dead and Loving It where I'm like, this is funny. Mm-hmm. But like his movies, where it's like, no, this was him. Like uh, High Anxiety, Blazing Saddles. These movies were like, I have to make this. That's funny. That's what's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, and just the thing is, he made, like, six really good movies, but, like, 13 movies
1: total, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're getting... Our next movie that we have on this list, going backwards in time, is, in my opinion, the first in our list, last of his... Except for Spaceballs, which is, in my heart, as a wonderful movie. Yeah. Of his masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. History of the World, Part 1, from the year 1981, is a... Masterpiece of a movie. It is, and the best thing about it is, it plays like a really good sketch show. Yeah, like that covers the entire history of the world, yeah, up to the twentieth century.
2: Because a, I think if they had tried to make it a throughline story with mm-hmm. like a time machine or something, would have been terrible. Yeah. yeah, but their ability to literally just like, and
1: that's done, and now. We're mm. in the same position. Like, like meaning of life. Yes. Exactly. Except it right. used the history of the world instead of the stages of life. Yeah. It had
0: a better. It had a better through line to it because yeah. it's taking you through the literal yeah. history of the world. So and
1: callbacks even. Yeah. I mean, so, you yeah. so we got a great guy callbacks.
0: who was in maybe the greatest writers' room of all time, which is the Sid Caesar show. Yep. Mm. So he knows how to write short form sketches. Not that he isn't able to write films, but this plays to one of his original strengths, and he. I, you know, I think it's a really strong movie all the way through. I don't think
2: it's his best. No, but I do think it highlights his, I think it highlights his ability to be funny. It's yes. the one where it's most like, here's a vehicle to just like write a scene and then maybe it's three seconds long. Yeah. But it's funny. The Lord
1: has given me these 15 <laughs> drops one. Ten commandments. Ten commandments. That's iconic.
2: That's, <laughs> that's iconic, a whole that's iconic yeah. that yes. moment. But then you also get like the super extended French Revolution. It's good to be the king. Yeah, like my, a whole long story. Yeah, and my theory is like he wrote, he started to write a French Revolution movie and he's like, well, I've got 20
1: minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I can. Yeah, but there's a lot. And yeah. then there's the ancient Rome scene is great. Yeah. like that. Like, yes, they're Gregory all Gregory Hines. Yes. It is, there's so many. I think that movie is a perfect combination of Mel Brooks at his sketch best and at his I'm going to write characters that you care about through line best.
2: And just little I, – I also think like – I think it's Cloris Leachman who's the revolutionary woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he she says like, let's end this meeting on a high note. Yes. And it's dumb, <laughs> yeah. but it's clever, dumb, where it, it makes you laugh and go, that's stupid. Right? Yeah. Like, those are some of my favorite. Or the waiter ever. at the Last
1: Supper. Right. Jesus. What? Yes. yes. What? yes. What? yes. what? What? Jesus. Yes. <laughs> These are ridiculous. <laughs> They're so things. dumb, but like it's
2: dumb in like a – man, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. That was yeah. so dumb. It is
0: dumb and clever at the same time. Yeah. I, I love in ancient Rome – where, uh, when, uh,
1: Mel Brooks' friend says, You
0: gotta be nuts, NVTS nuts. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a dumb, dumb,
1: perfect joke. Or, uh, this one you'll, I mean, you're gonna have to bleep me for. When they walk past Oedipus and he's blind and begging, Give to Oedipus! And Gregory Hines looks at him and goes, Oedipus, what's up, motherfucker? That's <laughs> like, so good. It's so ridiculous. Uh,. <laughs> But you earn ridiculousness if you are doing a movie about history that requires you to have done some homework. Well, and so plus, I think that the fact that he's like Mel Brooks clearly did his homework for this movie. We're going to allow him make to make a joke like NVTS nut. Well, and plus, right. when you watch the Spanish Inquisition, the
2: Inquisition. Oh my god! And you have Brooks playing Takamata, yeah. and mm-hmm. like singing a really upbeat jazzy number about torturing the jews and you're like yes this is like mel brooks like hey watch what i can do Mm because the whole thing is that like that scene is mel brooks showing off oh yeah like because it is start to finish like let me show you what I can do when I'm on, because that's oh, yeah. him, like acting it, writing it, everything. Nothing is working. Send in the month. Yeah, just, I, that, <laughs> I think that's the standout scene for me. From of just like that is like Hamilton level clever for me. Of yes. like i don't know anybody else that could pull that's the dead parrot sketch of that of like Mm -hmm. that's the thing of like hey do you want to see why he's a genius yeah yeah here's a scene about the inquisition that's funny as all get out like he made the spanish inquisition a toe tapping 11 o'clock number Mm -hmm. and like who else who else could walk that balance and be like, I actually, I don't think this is offensive. I think it's just funny. Isn't that part of what he
0: does, and especially as we start moving backwards into his greater films, is taking things that are uncomfortable or politically incorrect or just incorrect in, in general, flat out, and finding something funny in them, finding something to satire, something to parody – I mean, mm. even Jews in space. Nobody else so, can do that. Jews in
2: space. So good. Well, and
1: that's the thing. What Hitler about. on ice. All yeah. that stuff at the end.
2: Hitler on ice. I forgot. What, what Mel Brooks is really good at. Is making it so it's hard for you to explain to someone why they should watch something <laughs> and have them go, this sounds really offensive. And you're like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no I just no, no, try no. trust me. Trust me. He does it in such a way. <laughs> that it's uh, and like, that's, I feel like history of the world is, I feel like history of the world is not his best movie, but it contains some of like the, my favorite writing that he yeah, did. Yes. The thing with. Um, the the woman's father, where he's been in prison so long that he's like out of it, and he's going around to all the pets and like releasing these clearly dead animals. <laughs> yes. It's just so weird and funny to me. Yeah, it's like he he's like the weirdest one is he picks up the dead cat and says, "Now to invent." The catapult and swings the cat around the and you're just like, okay, cool. I don't know why this is great, but it is.
1: Oh my god.
0: Um, I think it's good. Uh, this is a good time to to say I, th- I that I think what we should do is bring three movies to the finals. Okay. I think I know what three. I think we probably all know what three movies they'll be. Maybe maybe we have some squabbles this about one, would one go or go two. This one we're going to the finals for me. All right. You, you think that one? So we're gonna we'll, we'll put a hold on that so we'll for hold, now. Put a
1: hold. Soft okay. hold. All
0: right. Soft hold. Is it? Should
1: we take a commercial? Do you want to take a commercial? Let's take a commercial because we're moving, we've moved through the lesser films into one of the heavy hitters. Yes. Now we're going to get into the golden age. We're in the home stretch. We're in the home stretch. But
0: first, let's hear about some of the golden podcasts on the Maximum Fun Network.
2: Hi, everybody. I'm Justin McElroy. And I'm Travis McElroy. And I'm Griffin McElroy. And this is our serious promo. No horsing around, you two. If you like just three gentlemen being adults about topics and giving advice for them, to them, My Brother, My Brother and Me is a podcast for you serious-minded adults. No monkey shines, no falderol. Hey, let me ask you a question. How sophisticated is your palate? <laughs> you like Merlot? <laughs> our show is basically like the Merlot and dark chocolate of podcasts you got to be grown up to like them. Our podcast is Toilet Line. <laughs> Listen to the Toilet Wine of podcasts every Monday right here at MaximumFun.org.
0: And we're back. And-
1: High anxiety!
2: <laughs> um, my favorite unappreciated joke of that film... Is he says, hey, Ziety! And it's so weird. I don't know why it's funny to me, but it really is. (laughs) Hey, Ziety! I don't don't know why. So funny to me.
0: Yeah, this is one that actually has more of a plot to it. There is a thriller. It is a thriller that in turn... This is the Hitchcock parody. uh, I think 10 different films at least. Mm -hmm. My my two favorites are Psycho and The Birds. The Birds, of course, crap all over them.
2: I actually... I'll tell you, I... Was never into Hitchcock growing up. And I watched this movie I, a lot. This is one of my favorites. And so I've watched this one a lot. And only recently, like two or three years ago, mm-hmm. did I go kind of like on a Hitchcock bender. And right. in like a month, I watched like 12 different Hitchcock films. And it was amazing to me how many times I was like, Oh, like, no, you my anxiety, uh,
1: so you th- were, so you were finding the, uh, you, you, this youth was the first time you were seeing what was a parody. Yeah. Oh. And so to keep that in mind, like, once again, a good parody.
2: I know the source material, and I still love the movie. Yes, I was like that's a good parody.
0: But you knew watching the psycho scene where the yes. where the bellhop who I mean, if you've you not seen high anxiety, I have not seen high anxiety. So so in this film there is a there's a bellhop who Mel Brooks asks to get him a paper repeatedly, uh-huh. and and the bellhop gets more and more frustrated. So later on, who plays the bellhop? Um, oh man, I don't someone know. I can't remember. It is a like a good character actor. Yeah,
2: but not somebody that you'd be like ah you're yeah like oh Clint.
1: Howard. Yeah. One of those. Right.
0: So he's taking a shower, Mel Brooks is, mm-hmm. and the bellhop comes in and pulls the curtain aside like in Psycho and s- starts smacking him with the paper, but stabbing him as if it is the knife in Psycho. It goes, here's your paper. Here's your paper. And the ink is swirling down the drain like the blood. <laughs> and
2: then it zooms in on Brooks' face and <laughs> yes. says, well, he's not getting to tip. Yes. It's <laughs> so great. And this is the first we've hit with Malin Kahn in it, right? Yeah, uh, no, no history of the world because she's in. Oh, that's right, yes. and she's no, the, no, the, no, the the no,
1: emperor's no, wife. No, no, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Madeline so much.
0: Leachman, pointed 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 and Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman. is amazing.
2: From what I understand, what yes. I remember reading is that Cloris Leachman in High Anxiety. Came in and sat down in the makeup chamber and just started doodling on her face and like drew in the unibrow and like drew in like a little bit of mustache hair and like asked for the wart and then went up to Mel Brooks and was like, this is how I'm going to look in the movie. And Mel Brooks was like, okay, cool. But that was all her. I'm like, like, I think she has a hump in the movie or something where she was like, this is me. This is how I look in this movie. And it's like,
1: okay, cool. Brilliant.
2: Chorus Legion, I will also say she's in uh, the new, she's in the American God series. Mm-hmm. She's so great. Yes. I think that she is maybe one of the most, and not underappreciated because there are people who mm-hmm. love her very much and she's very appreciated. I look back over her career and I'm like, when did she ever like hit? Why isn't yeah, she like Glenn Close or Meryl Streep? And I don't know why. Uh, but she, cause she's
0: one of those people. She's like a Phil Hartman. Phil mm-hmm. Hartman never would have been a marquee star but nobody doubts how brilliant he is yeah. and he was i mean in SNL he was all over the place and in films in which he appeared he was great he was glue which she was as well she did great character yep. work mm-hmm. you like you can't imagine the films that she's in you can't imagine them without her it's especially this the those who are late do not get fruit cup my parents would say all the time that was a household phrase in the Loveland household,
2: I, and I remember. Let's see. I'm just trying to think of all of my favorite scenes from High Anxiety. There's a point where um, they are filming up through a glass table, yeah, but the table is full of dishes, so they have to like keep moving, <laughs> and the camera every time they move a cup, the camera's like trying to find a gap. And that is the most
1: Alfred Hitchcock bit that they could. Possibly but then eventually, do. like the actors yeah.
2: are clear, like the characters start to f- like mess with the camera. I was The actor, like you could see them like uh, 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 and they're trying to like beat the camera and everything and it's yes. a moment and there's like a moment where the, he does the tight pan in, you know, the zoom in that usually you then fade through the window and you're in the room and it keeps zooming in closer and closer and closer and closer and then it breaks the glass and everybody turns and looks at <laughs> the window and the camera backs away. Yes. It's
1: so That's,
0: good. There's also a great sequence in the beginning Harvey Corman is running a mm. mental hospital and he has a patient who he has convinced uh, the patient is afraid of werewolves so he's he's uh, in to the other professionals talking about how insane he is but meanwhile he's like shooting stones in the back of his neck and putting in fangs and frightening him because when nobody's looking
2: yeah that's their plan Is if we keep people here they're paying to be here uh, yes. but if we cure them they get to go home and we don't get paid for so it so they keep uh, the,
1: the, the game of the movie is that they are Okay.
2: Yeah, they're trying to convince, uh, Dr. Richard Thorndike, who is Mel Brooks' character, <laughs> that, um, oh no, all these people, and, uh, Kahn's father, who is, oh, and they, I'm trying to remember, the industrialist, and it's a very Albert Hitchcock that keeps saying his name. is like, do you... I can't remember the character's name, but they're like, Stephen Jenkins, the industrialist? Yes. And they always append the title to the end? And it's like, God, that's so like noir detective yeah. movie. Of everything, it's like... Well, Here's Susan, who this person is. Yeah, Susan Jenkins, the philanthropist? And it's always like, that's how you remember uh, what yeah. character
1: we're talking about. Yeah, that's how you remember. It's like Professor Plum, Colonel Mustard. Exactly. Yeah. And um the...
2: Uh, so Richard's um his a, a was a mentor who also works at the uh, the thing is named uh Dr. Lil Oldman
1: <laughs> and, Is he a little old man?
2: Yeah. He's, he's the guy who does the voice of Scrooge McDuck. or no of the not Scrooge McDuck, the um like inventor duck in old Donald Duck Professor cartoons. Professor Drake. Yeah, he's that guy. Paul Fries? Uh, I think so. Oh, or either that, or they just have the most similar voice in this movie, and that. But
1: yeah, he has. This I'd like to see this just to see what Paul Freeze looks like because he's an iconic he's voice. I have to look. Oh, he has, he has a walrus mustache. He has it's a brilliant.
2: really great scene where he says to him like, "I like it, that." I basically tells Richard like, "I think you need to like go back under care, and I'll treat you." And Richard starts to say, like, I don't think that's Nessa. And he goes, don't you tell me what's Nessa. I'll tell you what's Nessa. (laughs) Oh, yes. That's right. Another thing that made –
0: that was like a really, I guess, banner film in the Loveland household. Because my mother would say it's not Nessa right now. She would pull stuff uh, from that film. It's worth watching. I would not put it in – if we were doing a Final Four, I would put it in the Final Four maybe or History of the World. It might be my Final Three.
2: Really? Because I think – at least as far as cinematically and, like, okay. story-wise, it's, like, maybe second strongest for me, of just, like, once again, remove all the bits. There's some really good um, acting. Why do you really keep wanting to
1: take the bits out of these Mel Brooks movies? They're one of the best parts of them. No,
2: very much so. But that's why I'm looking at it as, like, as a movie.
1: Right. Yeah. Like as a story.
2: Tell me a story. Exactly. And that's the okay. thing is, He's actually, that's the, that's what I love about Mel Brooks. And like, if somebody had only ever seen Dracula Dead and Loving It, I think it would be really hard to convince them of this. Of like, he's also a really good storyteller. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Listen to 2000 year old man and like his things that he did with Carl Rounder that weren't 2000 year old man, but like where he's just kind of riffing with him and like building mm-hmm. a character and being funny. And it's like, Oh yeah, there's a really funny character. But what's great about it is you're telling me this really weird story about this character, and you're really good at making me interested in these characters. Right. And so the jokes are funny, but the personality of the characters is what sells you on Yeah. And so that's the thing is I think he's at his strongest when it's like, okay, I wrote a script. It's amazing. It's great. The characters are great. They're interesting and I really care about them and I care about their relationship with each other. Now I'm going to make a second pass at it and add farts. And that's right. like, that's where his genius is. And like, yeah. there, and we're almost to Blazing Saddles, but in Blazing Saddles, you could remove mm-hmm. all the jokes and it's still
1: an amazing movie. Well, also in Blazing Saddles, what's brilliant is, and he does this a lot of times. I mean, sure, there are scenes. With the real basest of jokes and meta sort oh, of yeah. self-referential things, but when he's at his best, it's and in Blazing Saddles, I feel this way. He is uh, any joke in the movie can only come out of the person whose mouth it came out of. Yes, right. And I love that as a barometer of a good joke in a story.
2: I don't want to skip um, over
1: silent movie.
0: Yeah, silent movie is is a very interesting meta film because it's a silent movie about a guy trying to make a silent movie in the seventies. It's, it's Marty Feldman, Dom DeLuise, and Mel Brooks, but it has pretty much every single star of the day is in that movie. Burt Reynolds in 1976 was maybe as big of a star as you could get. He's mm-hmm. in it. Marcel Marceau, the famous mime, is the only person who speaks in the entire film.
2: I think – here's the thing about the movie. It is a very, very interesting movie to watch. Mm-hmm. It is, as you said, incredibly meta. Yes very interesting concept Mm -hmm. it's not a great movie i mean it's it is um very similar to like uh it feels very looney tunes-esque like there's lots of very like slaps you have to be
1: though if you've got no
2: exactly it really seemed like somebody said well yeah mel brooks can make jokes but can he do physical comedy and mel brooks said tell you what I'll make a movie with no jokes and it'll right. still be
1: funny and it is funny yeah it's just a homework experiment
2: yeah it really the whole thing feels like somebody like challenge like Phineas Fogg was challenged
1: to make a silent movie <laughs> yes, and he wants sure. to prove that he can do it and he did he did but like that's why it has that famous elephant riding scene yes exactly yeah. but it really does feel
2: like he went man I love Buster Keaton man I love Chaplin I would like yeah. to do something like that okay cool here's money go make that
1: yeah and it's fine mm-hmm. but like just go back to that unrestrained thing
2: yeah a little bit but it also feels like basically what it is is it is start to finish just swinging from vine to vine of like psych gag physical humor yes and it's like because really all it is is they're trying to make a movie yeah the end it's it's not it's not you could not make that
0: film today i've said a lot because i've been thinking about it in the the past couple months because the 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 further we move forward in time the longer old movies seem Mm -hmm. because the pacing was slower and now to try and get somebody to invest in a 90-minute movie where nobody speaks would be incredibly difficult. I know the, uh, artist, the artist
1: won best. Picture, I know the artist
0: won best picture,
1: but it's heavily orchestrated. It is heavily
0: orchestrated, and this You're is. A, heavily orchestrated. Let, let me illustrate this point to you. You are,
2: hey, <laughs> How hey, boys, dare you put your dukes down. All right. Let me illustrate fine. this with All the next right, movie. All right, Bill So next movie is Young Frankenstein, right? Right. Yes. I went to uh, like a movie theater to a screening in mm-hmm. Cincinnati where I lived. that did a screening of of. Uh, Young Frankenstein. I wit. I'm so excited. I've never seen uh Mel Brooks' movie in theaters. I think that's true. I've only ever seen them on home video. Mm-hmm. And there are long moments where there's no noise, mm-hmm. and it. When you're sitting at home watching it, it, doesn't stand out. When you sit in a theater, you could hear everybody breathing and like drinking their sodas because it's just like somebody walking down a sidewalk and there's nothing but being that's said. What those those universal, universal movies were like, but that's what I'm saying yeah. is like, yeah. we are not trained for that anymore. No, and no so now, this was the
1: thirties, the early thirties, these originals came yeah, out. Now yeah. Now I
2: hear that and I
1: like my shoulders start to rise up around my yeah. ears. I'm like, something needs to happen. Please. <laughs> We've all been watching Michael Bay movies.
2: Well, honestly. Yeah, it's yeah. This, I think it's all self conscious, like uh, subconscious. But like, I can feel everybody start to lean forward, and it's like, mm-hmm. if you don't catch them, they're gonna fall out of their chairs and walk out of the theater, right? And and it, it, mostly because now everything is so like people talk about like everybody's uh, uh, attention spans have gotten shorter. I don't think that's true. I think it's more like, do you like this? No. What about this? What about this? What about this? They're just throwing. Everything at the yeah. wall. It's yeah. not
1: the attention span, it's the number of choices.
2: Yeah, so because it's like, well, yeah. if we didn't
1: get you with choice
2: one through 99, we'll get you in the hundred. Yeah. And they're just so afraid that somebody might not like something that either they don't make a choice at all or they make so many choices that you can't think about it. Whereas I think, uh, especially young Frankenstein, makes like a few bold choices mm-hmm. and then they're like, deal with it. Like, it wasn't supposed yes. to be black and white. It was yes. supposed to be in color. Really? The studio I didn't know that.
1: wanted it in color. Uh, the Broadway musical is in black and white, which I think is an amazing, amazing feat yeah. of makeup and costuming and design and lighting and set and all of that he- to make it in black and white. Here's the other
2: thing about uh,
1: Young Frankenstein. It was a much longer film. It was, I think they
2: mm-hmm. cut something like 30 or 40 minutes out of it in editing. Yeah. because, Because like, they filmed and they were like, it was not working. It's a great commentary track for that one as well. The first cut just was not playing. And they went back through and gutted it and basically just tightened everything. And basically went through and like, do we need this? No. Do we need this? No. And by the time they were done, I think it's – I love Blazing Donald, but Young Frankenstein for me is in the running for maybe one of the funniest – Movies ever, just and, and, and this,
1: this performance by Gene Wilder and yes. by Peter Boyle in this movie. Those yes. two performances, the, all the performances and, are, and Cloris Leachman and Cloris Leachman and Marty Feldman and, Mar- and, 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 uh, and Terry Gar. Gar. Terry
2: Gar, Terry Gar was My brilliant. Goodness. I also I also want to say because I think I love Mel Brooks a lot, but I think one of the things that always gets glossed over with the Young Frankenstein was it was Gene Wilder's concept. Gene Wilder went to Mel Brooks during Blazing Saddle and said, hey, I have an idea for a movie. Right. They wrote it together. Yes. And then it became a Mel Brooks, like Mel Brooks directed mm-hmm. it, but Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks wrote it. And now everybody thinks of it as like a Mel Brooks movie, which it is.
1: But right. Like, but it's as much a Gene Wilder. Yeah. Movie.
2: If not conceptually, it was Gene Wilder's movie. And in fact, the putting on the Ritz scene, Mel Brooks uh, uh, originally went to cut and Gene Wilder was the one who said, No, I think this is funny. And Mel Brooks made him work for it. And when yeah. Mel Brooks. And it's one of the most iconic when scenes. When Gene in the movie. Wilder went back down, yeah. Mel Brooks famously responded, like, I just wanted to see if you'd fight for it. Because, like, it's a scene that very easily wow. could not have worked. Right. Yeah. Um, that, like, Gene Wilder sells it and makes it work. And, but, like, that whole movie is that way. If you would cast that with anyone else other than Gene Wilder, it would have been a pile of doo doo. I did yeah. quote the movie of because like that movie. I, I think everybody's good in it, right? Yes, but it is a Gene Wilder vehicle.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's so great in every part of it. I think his. If you want to see how great a comedic actor and just straight actor Gene Wilder was, watch the opening scene with him when he stabs himself in the leg. Because he's so upset that <laughs> as the great grandson of Victor Frankenstein, so that people good. are, he's changed his name. He is, he has sworn off that quack and he's, he, he emphasizes a point with a scalpel he's holding by mistakenly stabbing his own leg and the, the cool demeanor.
2: He just like closes which, his eyes yes. and takes a breath. He through <laughs> so it. so good. Instead of
0: doing what Leslie Nielsen and Dracula Dead and Loving it would have done, Ooh. which is cross his eyes right. and fart and scream. And and then everybody would see his butt or Wiener.
2: I also
1: think that. Well, I don't think he pulled his Wiener out in the He could have. He could have. Could I wouldn't have, have been
2: surprised. You but I know. also want to say I love uh, Malin Klein, all of them. But I also think that, like, Marty Feldman gives a masterclass in that movie of oh, yeah. broad, controlled. Like broad but specific comedy. What it is? Think of it this way. This is what I like to think of when I think of comedy: is what weapon are you using? Mm -hmm. And some people are fighting with a rapier, right? And it's finesse, right? Very sharp strokes. But some people are fighting with a broadsword. And if you don't know better, you think like, well, with like a you know three handed claymore or whatever, you just swing hard. And if you hit, you win. It's like, no, it's really hard. To swing a broadsword right so that you don't throw yourself off balance. So you don't leave yourself open to attack. Yes. It's a whole art in and of itself. And Marty Feldman is teaching you, like, hey, here's how you do broad comedy
1: in control. Controlled mm. broad. You, he can you, make you, a thrust with a broadsword.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yes. See, uh, the, uh I ain't got no body. It's <laughs> like a big <sighs> joke. That you totally believe this character is making yeah. in character, in context, mm-hmm. and not just a reference or a funny bit, but like, no, that's that character. That's that's him. That's exactly what he do. It's the same way I was just watching Cheers, and so the way I feel about uh Rhea Perlman in Cheers. Oh, are she's like, perfect on that and, show, and I believe that it's a real character, not yes. just a big broad joke, but a real character who's totally really doing these things. That's like the <laughs> like the great thing the my favorite uh, GM wilder scene in you know Frankenstein is when the cart gets out of control and crashes, and one of what will become Frankenstein's arms is hanging out, and he tucks it under himself yes. and has a whole conversation with a policeman, pretending like <laughs> it's his arm, and like will swing it around and like he's like d- d- like messing with the fingertips and the <laughs> yes, nails, is gl- talking, blowing on it because it's cold, and everything he's doing <laughs> is the perfect example of something that I think is really tough, which is how to lie. And yes. On stage, how to yes. lie in a movie so that we, the audience, know you're lying, but the person believably believes you, and everything he's doing is precise to the point of absurdity. Yes. It's like very like, it's mm, mm. <laughs> like that's a dead man's hand, <laughs> and I know that.
0: I I love just a small shout out uh to Kenneth Mars as the constable from the town mm-hmm. who has a wooden arm that he's constantly like he emphasizes and gonna go Cotrus to a town and then he just moves it like that his he's not in the film much but the the time he is in it he's so funny so good and, this and is another Ken Burns. this is Ken this is Ken Burns, Ken Burns
1: of documentary fame yes
0: this now what Materas it, brother it's uh, Kenneth Mars Kenneth Mars. Mars yes
2: he i also uh, <sighs> The film Peter Boyle is amazing and the um Gene Hackman scene like that's the thing oh, start yes. to finish I almost forgot
0: about. Here's that.
2: the thing about Young Frankenstein <laughs> that actually makes it in the running for me to the point where like I'm still thinking as far as best movie yes. not movie I like the best but which one do I think is the best? Right. I don't know that there's a single moment in Young Frankenstein that I'm like, well, that's where it falls flat. But they pick it back up in the next scene. Right. Right. I think because they edited it so ruthlessly that there is no fat. It is lean. Yeah. It is. Every moment is like tight, 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 tight. And like you're getting from moment to moment so efficiently and so quickly that you're like, no, all like. You can sit down and watch a ninety-minute movie, and it finishes, and you're like, "I'd watch that again." Yeah, like it right moves, away. it moves, it really cooks. And so, like, there's so many scenes in it, and all of them work. Yeah. Yes,
0: and and it ends well. So let's
2: let's talk about Blazing
0: Saddles. Yeah, which I know. Speaking of you moving love, things
1: along efficiently, yes, yeah, I, I
0: think that Blazing Saddles, the first two thirds, I'd put up mm-hmm. against any comedy movie in history. I do think the last act doesn't live up to the two before really? I don't think it isn't funny. Why do you think that? Because I think it gets it gets a little too meta. Like, they well, had a story to tell. let me tell you
2: why tell. you're wrong, Hal. Please. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I want to hear this, the whole point of the so podcast. I, can agree with I, it. I would agree with you if the ending of Spaceballs didn't exist, which allows me to go like, oh, no, that's what it's bad. This is what it's bad. There's got to be people who aren't mad at me because they love Spaceballs. But the <laughs> out-of-control runaway, like, those people and are there's wrong. a bear in the thing. And I'm like, okay, yeah. so this is nothing. The Blazing Saddles thing, I think because it's so on the rails for the first two thirds, Mm. that when it goes off the rails, it's like, yeah, okay, all right. It is. I think it's one of the perfect movie endings. Because then, if they didn't bring it back to where it is, I actually think it's one of my favorite weird meta swings Mm -hmm. of like, we're making a movie, and you kind of like, Oh, okay. Well, actually, yeah. I get it. And the
1: heroes wind up in the movie theater watching yeah, how, the, I get how it. their movie but ends then happily. then they
2: finish the movie
1: and you're like, yeah. wait, hold on.
2: What, <laughs> wait, what movie am I in? What is this part? Is this? Yeah. Because then Gene Wilder's eating movie theater popcorn. In the last scene, like when Levon Little walks around and he's like, he has the popcorn that he had in the movie. What movie is this? We're in The Matrix. None of this is real. You like that
0: confusion. I love that. I know it's by design. And I'm not saying it's poor. I just love the first two thirds so much. and And – while that last third, I don't think it's poorly done, but it just doesn't. Uh, there is something a, lazy if, about the
1: last if, third. If
0: that's where, I mean, wait, where, where your, where your wrong, idea
1: though.
0: is. <laughs> the fact that they it's have so
1: the idea of <laughs> we're going to make and paint a facade version of the town, like, that is a Dave's ex mocking bit the thing. of lunacy. That is, yeah. that
2: is. Literally, almost straight out of, like, The Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Like, that idea of, like... And, we, and, and, and they do it in uh Three Amigos. Right. Where it's like, well, we made a bunch of costumes. And, like, that's such... I think... Here's why I love that, and I love the off-the-rails studio stuff. It's, like, throughout that, the runner remains the same. Of, like, they're still fighting the bad guys. The fight is still the same. They have a showdown, a gunfight. The bad guy's running off. Mm-hmm. They just made the setting unique to this movie,
1: right? you're
2: not going to see that in Magnificent right. Seven. You're not going to see that. You're not going to see Monopoly in Plover. Lonesome Dove, exactly. And so this idea of like, no, 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 we, you could keep almost all the dialogue the same as far as like, go for your gun, let's settle this, like, men, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Except
2: it's happening in front of. Like, with all the handprints and stuff in front of the Chinese theater. Mm-hmm. Like, they basically said, like, okay, well, we could just film this as a shootout in front of the saloon. In front of Howard Johnson's, you know, saloon. But instead, we just put it on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. And it's weird because it's unique to this movie, but the scene's the same.
1: I'd like to point out that we are arguing about the very end of this movie. This is true because yes. the first two thirds. I mean, it sounds like Travis and I are both huge fans of it all the way through. Mm-hmm. Hal, you have some issues with the very end, yes. but which I understand. I, there is I'm not no Are
2: off
0: base, right?
1: Right, I understand. But what what I see as a weakness, you see as a strength, right? I, I see I as the that.
2: creativity that's like, hey, I'm going to control this spiral.
1: But there is no argument. That the bulk of this movie is to, it is perfect. Can I tell in you the my- comedy world, this movie is the gold standard of subversive, huh. pointed satire, hilarious, ridiculous parody, slapstick bits. It is an absolutely perfect comedy instruction manual. Of a movie.
2: There's Let me tell you first what makes me mad in the world in general. And mm-hmm. no, specifically about Blazing Saddles. There are people who have never seen it and know nothing about it who will say to you like, isn't that movie racist? Yes. And that makes oh. me so mad because that couldn't be more opposite exactly. than the whole point of the movie. And which yeah. is like, no, no, no. No, no, no. The whole thing yeah. is about how dumb racist. are. The movie are. says terrible
1: yes. racist things. Out of the mouths of characters that you are supposed to think are the whole the point, most ridiculous. Yeah, the dumbest characters the say people yeah, the you worst you like
2: Are the people that like the share like yeah, that?
1: Yes. And here is my favorite thing
2: about Blazing Saddles that almost wasn't mm-hmm. the buddy comedy that exists within the movie with Cleveland Little and Gene Wilder. May be my favorite buddy comedy ever. It's a brilliant pair. And okay. let me tell you why it's great and why I think it's very forward-thinking that, like, makes me very happy. They love each other. Mm-hmm. Like, they they make physical contact with each other. There's no gay panic that exists whatsoever right. between them. Like, they call each other baby and, like, they're, like, you know, talking very close to each other and they're very intimate with each other without that being the joke. Like, right. they they ride off into the sunset together, and, like, they're best friends without any artifice or any, like, oh, hey, like, accidental touching, right. and then we're going to, like, oh, yeah, but we're Not cool like Bill bros. and Ted. Right. Yeah. Like, it's very much like, no, they're just very sweet to each other. And mm-hmm. I actually have a framed I have very little art in my house. I have a framed thing of the, like, you have to remember, these are the common clay of the New West, you know morons because mm-hmm. it's like, very very sweet moment between uh jim and and uh bart yep. where it's just like hey it's gonna be okay like don't worry about that like if you take the actual point of it not the words you saying but the point of like they don't know who you are mm-hmm. they're idiots you're great don't worry about them you're great don't listen to them it's yeah. like oh my heart it makes me it's happy a beautiful
1: relationship
2: right yeah and he almost wasn't in the movie
1: like was when, a, who who was going to play that role? Was well, it going to be they offered it to Richard a lot Pryor? of different people. Resper, who wrote the script with Mel Brooks,
2: and actually Mel Brooks wanted him to play Bart, but the studio was like, "Nope, <laughs> he's oh, far okay. too controversial." <laughs> but um, Gene Wilder wanted to play it. And Mel Brooks was like, now nah, we need like a craggy faced, like old, washed up guy. Mm-hmm. And they originally went to, uh, the Duke. They went to, uh, John, John Wayne. Wayne. Yeah. And John mm-hmm. Wayne was like, this is hilarious. I can't do this. It doesn't work with my image. Is not my thing. Um, I'm trying to remember the other names. There was another dude who was supposed to do it who like called Mel Brooks like a month before shooting was supposed to start. It was like, hey, I'm basically blind. I can't ride a horse anymore. And like, so then mm-hmm. they recast it. So then the guy they had, whose name I wish I could remember, day one of shooting, the scene where he hangs upside down in the jail cell, he hung upside down and just started throwing up. Oh, it was Eric Stoltz. <laughs> oh, he lost. I heard
1: about this. This was the guy who, uh, was too, he was hung over or drunk. He, he, on... He, I don't remember what it was. But on like, his first day, and, and they he, were like, they fired him. It was like, yeah, we can't do it.
2: And so Gene Wilder had actually read the script during producers. I'm like, I want to play this. Mel Brooks was like, no. And then Mel Brooks called him and was like, Hey, Can you come do it? And he was there half a day later. Mm -hmm. And he had it all memorized already. Knew it all. Wow. And, like, it wasn't supposed to be Gene Wilder. And, like, I can't imagine that movie. That couldn't
1: be anybody but Gene Wilder. Because that relationship between him and Bart... Could not have happened with anyone who was not as gentle a soul it's as so, Gene Wilder is. And especially yes.
2: if you compare that to the line like, I must have killed more men than Cecil B. DeMille. And here's this <laughs> gentle, quiet, sweet-eyed, nice guy yeah. who's talking about killing over and over and over again. And you're like, I actually believe that was exhausting for you. In yeah. a way that you don't usually get when yeah. people in Westerns are like, I just got so sick of it. It's like... No, I honestly believe really sweet. Yeah, she like, like, yeah, like I'm I've so seen what I have seen want to keep killing people, but at a certain point they were gonna kill me if I didn't. And like <laughs> all their lines are some of my favorite of like, um, are we awake? We're not sure. Are, are we, we black? black? We are. We're awake, <laughs> but we're very puzzled.
1: And like that <laughs> that's my favorite exchange A, of a man hour.
2: drinks like that and he don't eat, he is going to die when it's just yeah. such a great, yeah. and it's funny, uh, and also so, like, sad. nihilist. It's yeah. like that, and I could start beginning to end and tell you about, like, how Harvey Corman's amazing in that movie. Slim Pickens yes. is an amazing movie. Madeline Kahn, who was Oscar nominated. Do you want to know a weird fact? The guy Please. that plays, um, Slim Pickens, like, right-hand man. Yeah. Uh, who now I'm really mad at myself. That I can't remember the name of that character. But anyways, that actor, is in another very famous Western. He's in Back of the Future 3. Who's he's he playing? The, He's the guy with the shooting booth who likes yeah, oh, that's, that's him. So how is it happens in the same universe? Uh, All right. battles sure, the universe, the but like everyone in that movie is so on point. And I think that it's, it's one of those where it's like, it's a razor's edge movie. Yes. Where I think it's very easy that like it could have been very offensive. And right. you, there are some like fairly obvious jokes that so once again I think this is the restraint thing of like they also had like ten writers, I think, throughout the whole yeah. the like the that whole a, event. It
0: was a committee written movie for right. sure. And
2: once again, not his original idea. Um somebody right. brought the idea to Mel like somebody who I think originally was like a dentist brought the idea to Mel Brooks and yes, was like Andrew Bergman. Yeah, and he was like Okay. And, but it was just a treatment. He was like, this is great. And he's like, well, I want you to do it. And basically just handed it over to Mel Brooks. And so then he and like Richard Pryor and like five other dudes, yeah, Norman Steinberg, Alan Ellen Uger were two of the other, or they Uger. sat down and like basically locked themselves in like a room for a week and like wrote the first draft. And mm-hmm. they went through so many rewrites and mm-hmm. like studio notes and everything to get to where they were. And that's the restriction of it. That's like, I think it holds up to this day. I don't think you could make it how it is right. now, yes. Because I think there would be people who would be like, uh, "Yeah, but like, there are going to be people that are not set, made by so. straight white male." Yeah, I don't think made at all because yeah. I, th- I don't think that that for a comedy, mm-hmm. a big budget comedy, I don't think yeah. there's a studio that would be like, "Yeah, this is fine. Like, because that's the thing: the people who look at and go, "Oh, so it's racist," I'm like, "No, no, no, watch it. No, it's <laughs> yeah, fun. It's it's that's the whole." There would be a studio exec who would watch the first five minutes and be like, uh, you say like eight slurs in the first five minutes. It's like, (laughs) no, but the point is like, it's an Archie Bunker. It's a terrible people doing it. Yeah. And then like Bart steps up and like makes everybody around him look dumb.
0: Yes. Oh, when he holds himself hostage. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Like, and that's such a great metaphor for like the whole movie is like. He has to put in five percent effort to be better than everyone else. Yeah, like yeah. he's just so much smarter and better and more like. And also, in a way, Cleavon Little, that part would have like I I think there's a way it could have ended up being kind of insufferable.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just but a, he brought just enough suave Bugs Bunny to that yes. part. Yes,
2: that's perfect. Like that's a, yeah, exactly it. He is Bugs Bunny
1: in yeah. that of just like he's a cool, smart, groovy Bugs
2: Bunny. Yeah, yeah. and so, that's the thing is the whole movie is about like. Looking past the thing, and mm. like you see that over and over again. Of like, and, 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 and you look at Jim, and you're like, "Ah, oh, he's washed up, drunk." No, he's actually the greatest gunfighter who's ever lived. Yeah, Mongo. Eyes, oh, a big stupid guy. Actually, he's kind of a philosopher and a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And like, oh Bart, like oh he's just a guy working on the railroad. No, he's a genius and like an amazing strategist. Right. And like you look throughout, mm-hmm. and there's all these characters, <laughs> like where it's like, you know what? Actually, if you get to know them. They're incredibly interesting and better. And that's like, what I love about that is that is so very clearly the message of the movie, mm-hmm. but not like so like beat you over the head with not it as handed. to be like, yeah. oh, I get it. Please stop preaching at me about right. it. It's a movie that by the end of it, you're like, you know what? I'm going to try to be less racist. It could easily <laughs> you know? be preachy, but it's so funny. That's the yeah. thing. Is it's like that's how I want lessons you know like I I think I first watched Blazing Saddles when I was 11 mm-hmm. and I laughed at you know every other joke right mm-hmm. then I watched it again when I was like 15 and I watched at 2 out of every 3 jokes and then I watched it when I was 18 and I laughed at 3 out of 4 and then like I watched it when I was 25 and I don't I think that it hit a point where I watched it and like didn't laugh so much as I went, Oh, I get it now. Yeah. Right. Like I la- I have, and it's not an exaggeration, not inappropriately, watched it over a thousand times that like wow. I, I watch it about twice a month, three times a month. Wow. Um, and when I worked at, uh, the Shakespeare Theater, I would put it on the sound system on repeat and just like play it straight through. So I would listen to it. Um, and like it hit a point where I was like, this movie, Is genius. This Mm. is watching someone dance through lasers over a pit of lava across a rope swing and never misstep and never hit a point where it's like, well, but that's awful. Right. Like that, like, (laughs) and I say that I also want to say, like, I'm a straight white dude. I'm sure there are moments in it where someone's like, "Mm, no, it missteps a a lot. Yeah. But I am watching it through the lens of like, it was made, what, 19... 1974, and the fact that it says what it says in the way that it does, what, 40 years ago, 43 years ago, in a way that, like, now the majority of it is still, like, nope, it's still okay, like, yeah. 80% of it is still, like, Definitely like, like unassailable.
1: That's the beauty of it too is that it, that movie stands the test of time because unfortunately everything that was a problem then is still a problem yeah. now. Yeah. Right. So all of these, like, whereas, uh, the jokes that he's making in that trilogy of, uh, of parodies later on is pretty specific to those movies or those times. Uh, these are unfortunately again, Pretty universal things that are like, well, racism is going to be around for at least the next hundred years. Right. So we'll make a comment on it now about our moment in time that will still be relevant unfortunately several decades later.
2: Right. And I also think to compare it to those later films, I also think that when when you watch it as many times as I have, Mm -hmm. there is layer upon layer upon layer of jokes. So you would watch the, the first time and be like, man, they make a lot of jokes. About race or whatever. Or you would say, like, oh, that fart scene's great. And then the second time you're mm-hmm. like, wow, they made a lot of jokes about race and, like, uh issues with, like, you know, uh immigration versus uh, naturalism and, like, mm-hmm. land crapping and, like, w- white elitism and the government. And then you watch it the third time you're like, wow, there's, like, levels of jokes that I did not catch. Mm-hmm. For example, the running joke of everyone's last name is Johnson. Yeah. It's funny. But, like, the more you think about it, like, they don't really, like... Ever look at the camera and go, everyone's last name, do you get it? Yeah, like, right. Everyone's last name is Johnson. Mm-hmm. Is that funny? But then there's a board in the back of, like, the town hall yep. scene where all the members, it's just, like, H. Johnson, W. Johnson. Yeah. And it's, like, that's so funny. And it's only funny because you didn't, like, barrel down the camera and take to the camera and say, like, yeah. we named everyone Johnson. Because they trust their right. audience. Right. right. Works
1: trusts his audience at that point.
2: And like that, that kind of like those kinds of layers. For example, like the cows running through the town hall and then through mm-hmm. the movie theater. It's like that's not there's there's no punchline to that. That's nope. not like just for fun. It's just a weird layer. Mm-hmm. That's so weird and funny. And like um, that, that to me, I love more than anything. Where it's just like I don't know why that's funny, but and it I don't sure think is. you do either. Right? You just know it's funny. Yes. So so this is a finalist. I'm
1: oh, guessing. this is. Oh, yeah. We we still need to talk about uh, the producers and of course the Twelve Chairs that masterpiece that everyone knows of Mel Brooks's.
0: Yeah, canon. I, I assume the Twelve um, Chairs. While it, I'm sure it is a very good film, sure. And is a have re- you seen it? Is a I have not no. seen it.
2: I, I have. Is it good? Is this it a finalist? Is, this is a fun story of how I saw Twelve Chairs. Tell us your story. Okay. I watched at my friend Nick's house. Nick Reynolds showed me Young Frankenstein in History of the World and Robin Hood Men in Tights, and my friend Stephen Meniscus. Showed me blazing saddles and I was like, I love this. And I went to my local Mm -hmm. library and I said, do you guys have any Mel Brooks movies? And they said, we have this one. (laughs) And I said, (laughs) I love Mel Brooks. I was like 13, I think. And so I rented, it was a summer break and I rented from the library 12 chairs and I watched it and had the whole movie. I was like, what is this? Here's the thing about it. Uh It's, it's funny, but it is a dark, Straight comedy, right? It sure. is like it is story situation. It is he. It's it's. I think the closest he gets to writing Neil Simon. Okay. Um, right. who he wrote in the writers' room with, with exactly, Caesar. Yeah. And, and he's he wrote like a movie with mm-hmm. jokes, but it's
1: just but it's Neil Simon's style,
2: yeah. Of like the jokes are like, oh, can you believe I got to deal with this? But not mm-hmm. like right a twenty minute long fart scene, right? right. So it's it's funny.
0: But it's not a best no,
2: contender. No,
0: no. So let's go to – so so far we have uh, – Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, it yeah. seems like they're locked. Mm-hmm. We've got a soft hold on Ooh, High Anxiety and a uh, soft hold on History of the World Part 1. This is my hard hold. I think the producers th- – this would be – if if this show were just called Hal Tells You What He Thinks Are the Best Things,
2: uh-huh.
0: I would say that the producers is his best
2: movie. Well, I, I think that – What it really, that I think unequivocally I can agree with you on, it is his best concept movie. It is the most original, like, what if two people tried to make money by having a flop? Yes. And, like, that is not a take on, it's not a spoof of anything. It's not, it's, like, a completely original IP. Yes. That is also an, and I think one of the reasons that it has worked as a movie, then a musical, and then a movie again is, like, no, but, like... It is an interesting concept that theater people eat up like candy because it's like, there's so many jokes about theater and theater producing and making a show that everybody's like, yeah, that's great. And it's like funny. Like the audition scene, right? Is, right. is so funny for anyone who's ever auditioned people before. And it's like, yes. I know exactly how this feels, except to imagine that, but you want the worst person? Is this weirdly empowering feeling of, like, each person is worse than the last? And it's great! But I don't think you have to be a theater person. No, not at all. If you are a theater
0: person, you get it, probably on a different level, because it some way is a funhouse mirror held up to experiences you've actually had. Correct. But, the, the again, the concept is a solid gold concept. The cast is incredible. It is a great Gene Wilder performance. Zero Mostel is great. Zero Mostel uh, is amazing. Kenneth Mars again is fantastic. Dick Sean. He, he
2: plays the uh, writer. The,
0: the, he is the uh, the person who wrote Springtime for he Hitler. He is the Nazi. He's yes, will he say Nazi. the word. He's just a Nazi. Because that's what his character is. He's a Nazi who who's sought refuge in New York City and has written a play <laughs> glorifying Hitler.
2: But the thing about it... Okay. This is my... Soft, negative response. Go ahead. It, uh, uh, one time, my family and I got in a pretty epic debate because so we went to see The Village, mm-hmm. uh, yes. the M Night Shyamalan movie. And I said it was a fine movie and a terrible M Night movie. And my justification was if I didn't know anything about the director and I just wanted to sell the movie, I would have thought it was fine. But my expectation level was so high because previously I'd liked M Night Shyamalan's work so much that this it fell short of my expectations specifically for him. Right? Okay. My feeling is, Producers is a great movie, but compared to the other movies I love of his, it is an outlier. But it's it his is,
1: first attempt. Well, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like, his first movie, and it's what he did as, I'm going to make one big offensive joke and see if it clicks. Which he does. And it did. It's great. And so then Blazing Saddles happens. It's, I'm going to make as many offensive jokes as I can. You couldn't have had a Blazing Saddles without a producer. It, it is think. wildly different.
0: Yes. I'll, I'll grant you that. It is not a gag a minute movie because it is about the story and about these characters in, in a way that mm-hmm. none of the other movies are, even though they have great characters, even though, and I know we spent a ton of time basically talking about how central the, the buddy relationship in Blazing Saddles is. However, I, I, I just feel like this was him actually making a movie. Yes. That, which none of these other films are. All the other films, to some extent, are, are sketches around, that, that are wrapped around the core right. of a story. And, and this and, is his and,
1: debut movie. That's, yes. we, we, we can't look at it as a, as a, we can't look at it as an outlier within a canon. Right. Because it's the first one.
0: And it, it's also un, unfair to say, well, it was just his first movie. I mean, he won an
1: Oscar. Oh, no, no, yeah. I'm not writing. saying, I'm not saying that it, right. I'm not, I'm not denigrating because I see. Because here's the thing, I also think, Mark. Yeah, you seem really upset about right in your puss. If
2: you look at the difference between the scale, right? If you look at this like a scale, and if you remove like Life Stinks and uh, Twelve Chairs, Mm -hmm. right? If you were to lay on the scale of like focus on story, focus on gags, on one end it's producers, and on the other end is Dracula Dead Loving it, and I think right square in the middle, like kind of splitting center is Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, Mm -hmm.
1: which. In a, in this image, um, having that right in the middle, splitting, uh, splitting this, this spectrum, we're looking at a bell curve here, and that is the apex of it is yeah. Blazing Saddles. And
2: I, I actually think Blazing Saddles mm-hmm.
1: is on the side of story, mm-hmm. and Young know,
2: Frankenstein is, is on the side of gags, but I say that every time I watch it, I'm gonna feel differently because I think right. they both, once again, and I know that I keep saying this, which was a really weird metric for movies where this isn't how you should judge it. Right. But either movie, remove every joke from it and i think i would still enjoy watching it you know right. what i mean like and also on some level i think if you remove the story from blazing saddles i think it would still be funny yeah but the, yeah the
0: meta part would not make sense though if you took yes. every joke out of it because the ending is a giant joke absolutely so the producers if you took all the jokes out of it would be a tragedy and would be a really compelling tra- tragedy mm-hmm. to watch not that that uh, again that's, uh, it's, it's weird to say, well, if we're going to look at the best Mel Brooks movie, we've got to look it out would with be without well, any well, of the this jokes. Is what, in it, this right? is
2: why you have to watch 12 Chairs. Because right. 12 Chairs feels like producers with no jokes. I see. Because like 12 Chairs is two people. Yeah. Uh, basically the story of 12 Chairs is, um, this guy learns from, I think his mother on her deathbed that when they were fleeing Russia, I Like I said, I haven't seen this in 20 years, mm-hmm. so I might be getting the names and dates wrong, but when they were fleeing their country because of uh, invaders, <coughs> she hid all of their family jewels and riches in one of 12 chairs that they had, mm-hmm. and then she dies without telling them like, which one. And throughout time, these 12 chairs, one of them's in a museum, one of them's in right. the czar's house, one of them's at this place, one of them's been destroyed. And they go, and it's basically a quest of these two people, the son, and this kind of, like, fast-talking, funny guy that he meets, like, going around Russia trying to find these 12 chairs and secretly cut them open to see if they are the ones with the jewels inside. Right. Which is a funny premise, and that funny premise leads to funny scenes, but there's no, like, slapsticky jokes. But basically, he said, what if I made producers, but I made it, like, a sad, like, Russo- Tragedy, right? And so it's a tragic comedy, like check-off tragic comedy. Where like, did we go right? Right, it's right. A funny shit, but it's like he said,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I'm gonna make producers, but without any fun in it, right? And,
1: and then people were like hmm, make blazing saddles, yeah. Just That's make blazing one. saddles now. Let so, me let me let me throw this out, if if I may. Um, were, yes. were you about to? I, I was
0: gonna say we've got what f- five finalists? Well, look, right we've now? got a
1: lot of finalists. Uh, I, in the interest of time, we have gone uh, we have gone through all of these in a pretty in-depth way. Yes, and I, I'm I listening do. to the way that we we've a all given I think proper credit to our favorites, and I do love producers. And do you want to say I'm right. not trying yes. to knock producers? Oh no, 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 no. Every, no, no. Okay, we get the, it. We know you're we're a fan. You are wearing a Mel Brooks shirt. Yes, that you did not realize you were wearing. No, I just – I wear it.
2: <laughs> it's in my rotation once a week. I'm wearing the Mel Brooks <laughs> oh, oh, shirt. How many shirts are in your rotation? Seven. Good. No, oh, I don't really. know get...
1: I just have a lot of that's plain, co- like
2: t-shirts. That's yeah. just like an, a, it's blue t-shirt day, I guess. Mark,
0: um, how many shirts are in my
1: rotation? How, three. Thank you. You have three t. How lovely! Three t t-shirts. T- 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 I'm, t- t- wearing, I'm t- wearing my, my Avengers shirt today. Yeah. Okay. Not, you have a Captain America and Avengers and a <laughs> Thrilling Adventure. If, if you hour. look at like okay. fan picks from cons. This is in a third of them. Yeah, nice. Um, so <laughs> it nice. sounds it's like terrible. what we have done in talking about these, <laughs> we have given proper credit to each of our individual favorites. Yes. yes. We, have, uh, we have said the ones that we believe should move on to the finals. But I do feel like there is one movie out of all of these that all three of us leapt on immediately yeah. as an icon. Would you guys agree with that? And life, I stinks. Think, yes, life, life stinks. Yes, life stinks. Yeah, yeah, we all loved it. It's the best one. Um, would you guys say that that's a fair assessment of what has happened here? Yes, yes. definitely. But
2: I do think... Okay, because I feel like you're
1: leaning towards... It's not Blazing, Blazing Saddles. I think, it, I think it absolutely is Blazing Saddles. You think
2: it's Blazing
0: Saddles? I think you were going to say Young Frankenstein. No, I'm well, no thing, I was going to say Blazing Saddles because just, that, yes, we all said
1: cool. Young Frankenstein was great, yes, but... When we talked about Blazing Saddles, we talked about it being the iconic piece of cinema and comedy but that it was. But here's the
2: question. This is what I've been asking myself all day. Mm-hmm. What is the determination? Is it what's the better movie? What's the movie I love more?
1: Uh, in this show, we like to air, and we were actually talking about this on an interview, uh, just yesterday. Yeah. Um, our Ghostbusters episode. Everyone loves Bill Murray. Bill Murray is, uh, an icon and the greatest. But he Egon's is not the best, the best. Ghostbuster. Yes. The best. Egon is the best yes. Yeah, Exactly. Um, so bearing that in mind, it can't be about which ones are our personal favorites. Right. Which one it, is it, objectively possible, the best.
0: There could be overlap, but I think, sure. I think there is an objective best.
1: But my Spaceballs, your uh, Travis, your Young Frankenstein, and Hal, your producers, I do not think beats our collective Blazing Saddles.
2: I, I feel like that's true. I mean, here's the thing. is like I'm trying to be... Uh I guess I would be trying to be disruptive of mm-hmm. like you thought I was going to say Blazing Saddles but no at the end of the day Blazing Saddles is hands down my favorite movie. Yeah. And I think it's because it's the one. it, it is the movie um that if I were only allowed to ever watch one movie for the rest of my life mm-hmm. it would be Blazing Saddles. I could watch it over and over. I've in one day watched it five times. Like yeah. I love that movie. I think there's a possibility that Young Frankenstein is a better made movie. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Okay, but <laughs> well, wait a second. But wouldn't the, that make it the
1: best? How? No, but wait, what? No, but no, what I'm stop. saying is, we're gonna be here, here till people three the in world. the morning, people
0: of the world. Here's the thing: I could do it right now. <laughs> here's the thing: yes. what I'm
2: saying is, I think somebody who is unbiased could make a strong argument to convince me that um, that Young Frankenstein is a better made movie, mm-hmm. right? But like, I can't. I like I. I can't do that. I like, I can see if you said we're taking Blazing Saddles out of the running, I could write you a hundred page term paper on why uh, Young Frankenstein is amazing. Right.
0: Okay. So both of you have made arguments for Blazing Saddles. Yes. Now let me briefly speak. Okay. People of the world, <laughs> I get no kick from producers. I anxiety Young Frankenstein make me laugh, but they're not the best because
1: I get a kick out of Blazing Saddles. The yeah. best of the Mel Brooks
0: movies. Watch all of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. watch you it, should if like you're things. not a Mel Brooks fan and you well, – first of all, why are you listening to this episode?
2: Pre-
0: pretend like the world ended in 1981 right after History of the World Part One came out and then enjoy
2: all those yeah. Mel okay. Brooks May movies. May I pitch to you please. an order that I think people, if they've never watched Mel Brooks movies before, should watch. Go for it. Okay. You should watch Young Frankenstein first. I think it's mm-hmm. the easiest on board. And like, you don't have to be bought into the style of comedy. Then yes. Blazing Saddles. Yes. Right? And then I would say History of the World Part 1. Okay. Then Robin Hood Men in Tights. hmm Then Spaceballs. Then you're going to swing back out with High Anxiety. The,
1: the double feature High Anxiety and Silent Movie? Uh,
2: okay. And that's what I would say. Those are the core ones that like, and producers. And, and producers. And I think yes. finish on original producers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I think if you are interested in it, I think Silent Movie is a perfect, um, interesting meta bit, but mm-hmm. I think that, and especially you don't have to watch Dracula. I'm giving you permission.
1: <laughs> you
2: don't have to watch Dracula Dead and Loving It. Fair enough. To feel like you've completed yeah. the canon.
0: Travis McElroy. Yes. Thank you for joining
2: us. Hey,
1: thank you. It's this was such a treat, my yes.
0: friend. Now, in addition to My Brother, My Brother, Amish Manners, uh, trends like these, The Adventure Zone, surprisingly nice. You have a bunch of stuff out: the "My Brother, My Brother and Me" series on CISO. Correct. What? What? Else, where? People can go to one place to the find e- everything yes, you're doing.
2: the easiest is go to McElroyShows dot com. M C E L R O Y S H O W S dot com, and there you can find links to all of my family's podcasts. I think there's like fifteen or sixteen at this point. Yes, yes. collectively, Holy. and they're all the first great. family of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, none of us has just one um and then also there's youtube series there um our contact information for like our twitter accounts are like p.o boxes that kind of stuff yeah. you can follow me on twitter at travis mcroy um if you want to tell me why blazing house is amazing at travis mcroy um if you want to write me a letter about why it's not don't um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the end. Go check out all my podcasts. Oh, so Most go. of them are well, on MaximumFun.org though. So like, you can trust
1: uh, the yeah. Maximum Network. We're familiar yes. with it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, a it's a wonderful place there? to be. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, thank you again. Uh, and thank you to both Mark Easterbrook and Jim Corbett who suggested this in our Facebook group. Yes. This topic is now sealed. It is asked and answered, but there's so many more out there and we want to hear from you about them. Email us at wegotthispodcast at gmail.com or go to our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash we podcast.
1: Or you can reach out to us on Twitter at We Got this Tweets, or check out the Maximum Fun subreddit. A flame war could be happening right now.
0: Thank you to producer Ken Plume, researcher Kate McManus, who put together a great spreadsheet on this. Thank Graphic you, designer Kate. Uri Kelman and QA engineer Jen Alba.
1: And thank you, as always, to our musicians Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman for our score and theme song, respectively. And, of course, thanks to you, our listeners. Uh, we are all such big Mel Brooks fans here. W- how else would we have the opportunity to sit with our dear friend Travis McElroy while he is visiting Los Angeles uh, and talk about movies? Unless you guys were listening to the show. So thank you very much. We I, really appreciate I you. I want to say one
2: last thing. Please. One last thing. Please. Because I'm talking about the canon. If you can find the recordings of the live uh, 2,000-year-old man with Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, it is the most delightful to oh, yeah. people. Like, just... Like, listening to Carl Reiner just enjoy Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner being one of the greatest straight men in comedy history to Mel Brooks' big, bold choices... Yeah. ...is, it's, like, if you want to be a funny improver, if you want to be a funny sketchwriter
1: listen to Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner obsessively and it teaches you everything you need to know. They are comedy school. And the the master class of comedy school is uh, not only these guys, but I think we got it right. I think Blazing Saddles in particular. Well, also
2: because Madeline Kahn, I think,
1: She's amazing. Uh, yes. Oh God,
2: I could talk about that movie oh. so long. Like, <laughs> we have to go, Travis. We have to go. But every face that Madeline Kahn <laughs> makes in that movie cracks me. I, it, with her whole song when she does the patter with the guys in the audience is so funny. That just the. Oh, it's
1: okay, I'm Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, for how she I'm has this moment where she's like, And For Mark Gagliardi, oh, I'm Hal Loveland. and, and doesn't modulate the note. We, we got, got this. this. Amazing. We got this. MaximumFun.org.